You're listening to the Farm Report Podcast with Jake and Corey, brought to you by Indians Baseball Insider and broadcast on the Smoke Signals Podcast Network. We're talking tribe. Whenever you happen to be tuning in, we are glad to have you aboard. I'm Jake Dungan, Editor-in-Chief for Indians Baseball Insider, welcoming you to another weekly edition of the Farm Report Podcast, the show that takes you up close and personal with the minor leagues. We get into discussions, we get into uh, analysis. It's really a lot of fun, and here to talk about uh, the Indians' prospects with me, as always, is my friend and co-host, Corey Christen. Corey, how's life in Syracuse? Hey, it's good now that the weather's cleared up. It's, you know, they say what they say about snow and the weather in the winter is 100% true about the Syracuse snow and the winter. It's truly a five-month winter up here. But today we had, I mean, I was out on the golf course. We had 70 degrees in sun. It was beautiful outside. Um, baseball weather, I mean, you couldn't have asked for a better day today. Hopefully we get more of them and, and spring is actually here to stay but you know we're we're in the swing of things now for me personally school's almost done got a couple more weeks of class and finals week and then um graduation and we'll see what happens after that so good to be here talking prospects again this is a nice way for me at least to get away not just because i i'm a a, a fan of the system and i like following some of the guys and um you know we get to know some of these guys like that but it's a good way to get away from everything, and it's a nice way to look at something else in a vacuum. And uh, the way that we do that here, I think, is very unique. So it's really good to be back for another week, and uh, we got a lot of good stuff to get into today, Jake. Yeah, we got a ton to get into. I hate to start out on a kind of unhappy note, but uh, speaking of the uh, farm system, we'll start in Columbus, where the biggest breaking news of this past week was that first baseman and DH, uh, former Indian, uh, who was reunited with the tribe on a minor league deal this offseason, Mike Napoli, sadly, is no longer going to be playing for the Clippers in 2018 as he suffered a torn ACL and meniscus and will miss the remainder of the season. And, uh, you know, torn ACLs are always bad news for any player because it always requires a lengthy recovery time, but for a guy like Mike Napoli, who's in his late 30s, uh, in the twilight of his career, it's it could mean an early an early end to uh, his playing days. So, uh, I mean, I, I was really bummed when I heard the news, because I know he was playing for Columbus, trying to, and trying to make an impact, and trying to uh, make some teams take notice in case... Uh, he wanted to uh, audition for an, a role somewhere else, and the Indians were uh, kind enough to grant him that favor, as they were as as they were very uh, amicable with him, and things have always been gone well between them. I mean, obviously he and Tito have a good rapport, and he and the rest of the organization have uh, been close just in his short time with the tribe. So uh, 
yeah, we wish him all the best in his recovery, and it's just uh, it's just sad to see to, to see him go down like this. And if this does end up being the end of his career, it's uh, definitely a, a sad way for him to go out. Yeah, that's really unfortunate what happened to him, and you can only hope for the best for him and his recovery, even, albeit you don't know if it's going to be on or off the field. Um, but like you said, I'm really interested to see in what capacity that Mike Napoli would come back and, and everything that is suggested by media reports and uh, from John Alphys and what he's wrote about Mike Napoli and what the vibe was like around spring training with him back in that locker room and clubhouse. You know, it was just like he makes a he makes for a good coach, I feel like. And whether that's a hitting coach or player development or roving instructor, whatever it may be, it just seems like he would fit that role. And if this is his final um, time that we're going to see him on the field, and you know Mike Napoli would probably tell you that this isn't the way that he's going to go out, or doesn't he doesn't want to go out this way. Um, if we have seen the last of him on the field, I don't think we've seen the last of him in baseball, and that's a, that's a silver lining to take out of this. But you know, for a guy who was thought to be, uh, you know, a, an impact in this farm system and a potential mentor to Bob, Bobby Bradley in that dugout as a player, you know, kind of show me rather than telling me kind of scenario, um, leading by example. That's what Mike Napoli did when he was in Cleveland a couple of years ago. That's what he was thought to do this year. So, unfortunately, it doesn't look like he's going to have the chance to do that again, but that's not saying his days in baseball are over. In fact, I think they're far from it. So, you know, you can only root for the guy and what is to come for him and, and with his recovery and his potential within either the Indians organization or even if it's, you know, like when Jason Giambi, um, you know, was with the Indians organization. You never know what's going to happen. Um, or if he goes to another organization, you're like Omar Vizquel does with Detroit and, and with, with the White Sox. You know, you just don't know uh, what's going to happen. You can only root for the best. He's, he's, you know, someone that is special in Cleveland fans' hearts. I mean, I've, fond memories of him on that 2016 World Series team. You know, party at Napoli's. It was a whole thing that swept Northeast Ohio and everyone got behind that movement. And um, you can't say that you can't say that he didn't make an impact on Northeast Ohio, on Clevelanders, on Indians fans, and even, you know, Boston, Texas, where he was also really prevalent and, and in Anaheim uh, throughout his career. So if this was, like I said, if this was the last we saw Mike Napoli, you know, you can always say thank you for the service, thank you for what you've done for the organization. We can only hope to see him back because he's definitely a bright baseball mind and a great baseball guy and a great character guy. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so too. And I and I agree with you. I echo your sentiment in saying that we thank him for what he brought to the Indians, even just for one season, and how he kind of was at the center of a movement of revitalization of this uh and re and the re-energizing of this fan base and as they got behind the the 2016 club and that whole world series run and napoli by far was one of the centerpieces of that of that whole movement so uh he won't be forgotten for that and i do hope that uh if this is it for him that he does consider coming back to the indians because i know things like i said things are on good terms between the two parties they granted him the favor of bringing him into camp and then putting him down in Columbus to get some at-bats so he could potentially get uh, 
get some other teams to notice him and uh, try to see if he can uh, get onto a roster elsewhere. But uh, I hope that they are able to take that relationship to the next level and uh, possibly bring him back in another role if he does decide to hang it up. But I do. I, I also hope that he that this isn't it for him. And he does able. He is able to come back. Uh, to, and finish on his own terms because I know that that's something that every player wants to do. They don't want to have to end their career like like this. So uh, we're rooting for him in that capacity too. But first and foremost, we're rooting for him to uh, have a have a strong recovery. But again, like I said, uh, and as our our man Brandon Bowers has suggested, he uh, did a doctor's take on Napoli's situation that uh, it's it is possible and fairly common for the players and athletes to come back from the, the, these injuries, but he also suggested about that uh, Napoli's advanced age uh, might play a role in this and his ability to be able to come back, so uh, that's something to keep in mind as well. But, yeah, I wish him all the best. But uh, let's go a little bit to the opposite end of the spectrum, going down to Lake County. And uh, we spent a lot of time down here last week, and I think we're going to spend a lot of time down there again this week talking about what's going on with that captain's roster, because there's a lot to like about this captain's roster, as we've said before. And let's start with a guy who is pretty much not on the radar whatsoever, or at least he wasn't entering the 2018 campaign, and that is infielder Jorma Rodriguez, or Jorma Rodriguez. Uh, he is off to a red-hot start this season. He's batting 345 in 14 games. He's got a homer and nine RBIs. He's got a pair of doubles, uh, 367 on base, and a 798 OPS. So, you know, he doesn't have a ton of power. He never really has. But he's also never been a guy that has been a big hitter. I mean, he's always known for more for his glove. And to see him getting off to this hot start is really uh, is really something else. One of the more pleasant surprises of 2018, at least for the Indians minor league system. So, Corey, I'll ask you... Uh, what do you know about uh, Rodriguez, and uh, if anything, and what do you make of his hot start so far this year? I'll be truthfully honest. I don't know entirely too much about him. Um, he, he spent some time in Mahoning Valley back in 2016, so I got to see him very briefly. He had 213 there. Um, but what I do know is he's only 22 years old, still very young, and he's been in the system already for five years, so one of the Latin American signings. Um, so he's been very familiar with this organization. You know, sometimes we see this. Sometimes it does take a while for prospects to just come around and to really show what they can do. Uh, he hit 297 back in 2016, but that accounts for uh, 22 games in the Arizona League where he had 357. So he's shown down there that he can prove. He had actually a cup of coffee with Akron last year. He saw quite a bit of time in Lake County and then jumped up to Lynchburg. And then um, I believe Lynchburg made the playoffs later in the season. And then they went on that title run. And that's when he got that move to Akron. So he's got some experience under his belt, which is really nice. You don't see that too often for a 22-year-old player. So maybe there's something different he worked on in the offseason. We'd have to talk to um, – you know, uh, Justin Lada about this and see what he's seen with uh, Rodriguez at Lake County. I know Justin's lived at Classic Park this summer or this spring so far. Um, but I know what I do know about Yorma from what I remember watching him play is not only he's, he's a good kind of an aggressive player. By that, I mean he's very calculated. And 
when he goes out there and takes at bats, he doesn't just swing and miss. If he swings, he's really taking a calculated swing. Um, sometimes you just don't connect, and sometimes you connect, and it's not really um, you know out in your favor, and it's not really a lucky swing. So he's shown a little bit of power, um, you know. He, last season, he had 14 doubles in, in the span of 88 games. That's a decent little sample size right there. Um, this season, or rather 15, excuse me. This season, already a couple of doubles. He's He's got nine RBIs in 14 games. So he's carried a little bit of that power and a little bit of that confidence, I think, from last year. You know, um, whether he got called up to Akron, you know, to fill a roster spot, or if the organization thought that he might be a good fit there, one way or another, you know, to be 21 years old at the time and seeing time in double-A ball, he played seven games there. He hit 238. Um, it, you know, to have that kind of confidence, I think, is a little bit different. I, and if there was something that he worked on this offseason, that's a thing maybe you ask, uh, maybe to ask Luke Carlin about um, if he saw a change in Yorma from last year, this year, because, um, you know, you know, Luke, Luke's worked throughout the organization and knows these players very well. I think that's intriguing because th- what this does is it adds a little bit of depth to the Indians' infield and what they have. A third baseman by trade, um, you know, who knows he can play a little bit of the infield elsewhere. Um, he's played some short. He's played some second in his career. He's actually played more second than third, although he's listed as a third baseman. So um, that versatility we always talk about with the Indians organization, they love that. I think it's an interesting thing. If he could keep it up, then – all he does is add to that depth with the Nolan Joneses and the Mark Mathiases and Tyler Kriegers and so on. Yeah, and looking at his, you know, fielding versatility, like you said, he can play all over the infield, and he's actually played a game in the outfield as well. And, you know, being young and as athletic as he is, I wouldn't be surprised if they uh, play around with his versatility even more so as his career go- moves forward. But I think that. What this does for Rodriguez is I don't think it really makes him a, a prospect so much as it makes him a, a decent utility player option if he's able to continue this offensive success. Now, I'm not saying he's going to keep batting 345 for the rest of the season, but if he can show he can hold his own with the bat at least and still be able to play multiple positions, I mean, then that puts him in like in in like the, uh, I don't know, the Eric Stamets type of mold, whereas a guy who is known more for his glove but can do just enough offensively to make himself uh, make himself a viable utility option, and that is why uh, you know he's gotten some gotten gotten some attention uh, since he came over to the organization. I think Rodriguez, being still only 22 years old, which is a little bit old for Lake County, but uh, if he keeps hitting like this, he might be able to move up soon, especially considering the fact that he's been up to Lynchburg and Akron before, so... If a spot opens up in Lynchburg or even Akron, maybe he, we could see him move up. But uh, that's what I what I take away from this. I will caution people though to be cautiously optimistic and uh, temper their expectations a little bit because yeah, while Rodriguez is off to an incredibly hot start, batting 3.45, you know he's not walking a lot. He's only got two walks versus 12 strikeouts in 14 games, and he doesn't have a, a lot of power. He's got the one homer and two doubles in 14 games um so he's not gonna basically he's gonna be hitting for average or or not getting on base at all so you gotta keep that in mind but 
if he's able to improve his contact rate, that's what's going to make him more intriguing. But I still say, I mean, even he's also got a little bit of speed, too. He's had double-digit steals in the past. He had eight last season, and he's already got two this year. So he's pretty much, a, at this point, we'll see how, how, if and when he cools off and how he's able to make adjustments, what happens there. But, again, he's pretty much, at this point, uh, at his ceiling looks to be a, a, a pretty decent utility option, but who knows if that will lead to a major league uh, call-up or not down the line, but we'll have to see. Well, I'm looking at kind of an Eric Gonzalez kind of uh, comparison here. Back when he was in the lower level of the minor leagues, uh, 60 games with Mahoney Valley, this was 2012, he had 220. 2013 between Lake County and then Carolina when the Mudcats were affiliated with the Indians, he had 254. Then he kind of turned it up in 2014. He had 309 um, with Carolina and Akron. 2015 with Akron and Columbus, he dipped back down to 255. So if we're looking at a utility-type player in Rodriguez, you know, I like to compare to Eric Gonzalez because he has been that utility guy for the Indians. Um, he, he certainly is that guy now, and he profiles like that. Um, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think this is um, a different era of baseball that, Utility guys are needed now more than ever. You know, look at Ben Zobrist and Josh Harrison, I like to use as the two big Major League Baseball comparisons that have really taken that position by storm and have run with it and have made good careers out of being a utility guy. That being said, having versatility in the infield is a totally different thing. I understand that Eric Gonzalez is a very good fielder at short third and second, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's gonna he, he, that he's going to go in the box and reach first base, you know, 30% of the time. What I, what we would need to see from Rodriguez, yes, it's a nice little sample of uh, just 14 games hitting 345, but he hasn't really put it together in the past besides uh, 2014 in the Arizona League, he had 330. 2016 in 40 games, he had 297. So last year he regressed to hitting 205 across three separate levels. So where is... Where is he going to fall in between that line? Is he going to be closer to a 280 hitter? Is he going to be a 250 hitter? You know, there's a lot of season left to play. I'm saying it's early, and like you said, kind of quell these expectations that, you know, I, I suppose we're laying out what could happen, and on a positive note, he could put out a really good season and put himself on that prospect radar. But if we're talking about an Eric Gonzalez-type player, and that's what he could turn into and mold into because it's – showing a similar track record, kind of up and down. Um, you know, Eric Gonzalez had had good versatility out in the field. I think that's an interesting timeline to kind of equate him to. So we're only going to know if he puts this together throughout the season. If we're in June and July and him talking about, you know, his batting average is floating around 290 or 300 or 310 maybe, um, and then he's starting to show more signs, that contact rate you mentioned, starting to hit some doubles, maybe a triple or two. I don't know about the home runs. I don't think he's. I don't think he's exactly, um, you know, a brute by any means. So I don't know about home run power. But if he can show some of that speed and have a double-digit steal season, then who knows where he could float in on that prospect radar? Well, I'll tell you one guy down in Lake County who is showing impressive uh, on-base skills while maybe not hitting for a high average yet. And we talked about him a little bit last week in relation to the whole. Uh, captain's outfielder, but I want to zero in on him for a second here, and of course I'm talking about Will Benson, who right now, you know, he's only batting 214, 
but he has 11 walks versus 14 strikeouts, which is good to, for a 400 on base percentage. So for him to have an on base nearly 200 points higher than his batting average, that I think is something big for Will Benson, especially for a guy who had 80 strikeouts versus 31 walks. Uh, last season, uh, which is good for a 347 on base, still pretty solid. But you know, so far this year, his strikeout to walk ratio is vastly improved compared to last year and and his his professional career overall. So I'm really I wanted to talk about him and how much he seems to be uh, making those necessary adjustments and focusing on taking pitches, working at bats, and getting on base. And I think that, you know, when we talk about Will Benson and when he was coming out of the draft of how raw he was and how much he needed to kind of refine his game, I think that seeing this early on in the season, especially at a new level in Lake County and his first year of full full season ball, I think that's a big step in the right direction for him right now, even if his batting average isn't showing it yet. So this is kind of interesting. I, I've just looked at his splits from last season. Did you know when he's played 56 games last year in Mahoney Valley? He played in 56 games last year in Mahoney Valley. Excuse me. He struck out three times in seven different games. So that's 21 strikeouts right there, just on seven games itself. That's 12% of games played. Like, I don't know if it's over-aggression. I don't know if it's... Swing and miss or batter's eye, I don't know what it is, but for whatever reason, Will Benson had that strikeout bug last year. Right now, he's got 14 and 13 games. That's a way better rate than where he was at last year. And like you mentioned, the walk rate is way up already. So it's a matter right now of him just making contact. Um, maybe he's over swinging when he does swing. He, he has two doubles and two home runs, and that's four of his nine hits right there. Um, so I, I don't know what it is. I, I, that 214 average, it's like, whoa, wait, again? But then you look at the, the 400 on base, like you said, and it's impressive. Now, one thing about Will Benson, when he does make contact, it's not on the ground. That He can elevate the baseball. And, you know, when you're a, guy, when you're a kid that big and you're, you've got this 6'5", 225 frame, and you're starting to become more of a patient hitter, you know, you get on base a little bit more. That builds up a little bit of that confidence. He doesn't hit the ball on the ground. He's not chopping into double plays or, you know, anything like that. I, I don't know if it's a matter of him just taking smart wings or being a little bit more selective, which he's showing right now, or if he's just had poor luck with hitting the baseball so far. Um, he's got nine He's got nine hits in 13 games. Um and he scored six runs uh, on the um, on the times that he's gone on base. So when he gets on base, he's a threat on the base paths. Uh, two steals already. I, I think he's a good, versatile player that just needs to settle in in the batter's box a little bit. And the walk rate is a good first step. the The next rate, the, the next uh, the next step, rather, excuse me, is him taking those smart swings, maybe. Cutting down his swing when he swing when he gets later into counts, um, making contact instead of trying to just drive the ball every time. I'm not sure exactly what the selection is in that in those at bats, but that's a good first step with that 14 strikeouts to 11 walks. Um, so throughout the season, I guess that's something to monitor: is 
does he start getting base hits and does he take less games of having those strikeouts? I mean, seven games with three strikeouts last season, that's pretty, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. If you ask me, like I, I didn't, anything like that could be possible. I mean, He's an aggressive player without a question, but there's just some times where you got to be a little bit more selective, and he's done that already, and that's a good sign. i got to tell you what. I already can't wait for our next conversation with Pete Lordson, the hitting coach for the captains, who, of course, we had a lengthy conversation with uh, last season, at the end of last season when he was a hitting coach with the Scrappers, and he gave us so much great insight into Benson, Jones, and all the hitters that were in uh, – Lake or in Mahoning Valley last year, and to see Benson get off to this nice start, I, I'm already chomping at the bit to uh, get to, to get that next coach's corner interview going with Lawrenson and uh, talk about what Benson has been working on. And I'm also really impressed by this for the reason that toward the end of spring training, when everybody was still playing their minor league uh, exhibition games. I think it was, you know, either Keith Law or Jonathan Mayo or John Sickles, one of those national minor league guys, writers, and they were talking about Will Benson and how much power he had shown, and they all, whoever it was, pretty much said that this guy's got some of the best raw power they've ever seen. And for me to hear that and to see Benson not necessarily focusing on trying to hit for power and more on, you know, getting on base. I think that's a good testament to his character and, and his work ethic and where his uh, priorities lie because, you know, I think that a guy like that, the young guy, big guy who, you know, is going to have pressure on him to hit home runs at some point, I think for him to not have that be at the forefront of his mind this early on in his career is definitely a uh, a step in in the right direction and a good uh a, definitely a good sign especially for a guy who is still only 19 years old. So uh that's the other thing. He's only 19 years old and he's already shown this kind of vast improvement. Again, it's only 13 games, so it's hard to get too excited, take it with a grain of salt, but for a 19-year-old to go from having uh, an 80 to 31 strikeout to walk ratio to a 14 to 11 and that's still pretty impressive even for a small sample size and hopefully it continues but yeah I can't wait to talk to Lordson I can't wait to watch Benson for myself to see how he how he's doing but you know the Indians knew that they were getting a talented hitter and a guy with a good work ethic and that was kind of the big rap on him but the question was whether or not he was going to be able to refine his game enough to be able to tap into his full potential well i tell you what I don't know if, I don't have the answer for that to know if he's going to tap into his full potential or not but he's made some great strides just over the last couple of seasons you talked about Benson's character um, not only is Pete Lordson raged about that but so is Luke Harlan remember last year there's two. there was two cases of that where it was exemplified by Benson. Number one, I, I took a photo of it, and I remember this like it was yesterday. Um, Benson had a huge hit in one of the games. It was a weekend game, and there were fireworks after the game. And I went down to the field to talk to him after, and, um, you know, I'm waiting down down near, if you go to the uh, Eastwood field, down where the Scrappers clubhouse is. It's down the right field line. So I was kind of down there a little bit waiting. And he and Nolan Jones were signing autographs. And this is a, a bump to Nolan Jones as well, I suppose. And 
I mean, they're signing autographs. There's kids down there. There's there's adults with their kids. There's parents. There's fans. There's there's all kinds of people down there. And they were out there so long that the lights went out and the fireworks show started. Like they were out there during the fireworks show signing for kids, taking photos with fans. I mean, those two guys are very very nice guys. And um, another one is that Luke Carlin has just raved about him and his character and work ethic. Um, Benson comes in, he takes fly balls, he's willing to learn new positions and new stuff and get in the cage early. And Carlin's talked about that, and he's and, and that's kind of the guy that the Indians drafted, and they knew that they were getting that with him, was a high-character kid. Um, and straight out of high school, nonetheless. So, you know, you want those guys in your system. And we talked about this with Nolan Jones, too, and it's good that Jones and Benson are kind of coming up together and a la Zimmer and Clint Frazier when they were in the system together, that they can kind of feed off of each other and have this friendly kind of competition and work together and grow together. You know, it worked out for Zimmer, and I know Clint Frazier's been hurt. You can wish him well, even though he's in a different organization, but you know Benson and Jones are two very good baseball players and they're competitive, but it's a really good kind of competition that they have. So with the mind that those two can kind of outwork each other, kind of by trade, Benson starts to outwork players in other organizations' systems. And with the character that he has, you have nothing but positive in, in, the, in the telescope that is Will Benson's future. You know, you wonder if that competition is coming into play this season as far as the strikeout-to-walk ratio is concerned, at least, and how well they're getting on base. Because Jones, even though he's only played in seven games, he missed some time with that uh, that knee soreness. So far in seven games, he's walked six times versus four strikeouts, which is good for a 379 on base. So maybe maybe they're trying to outdo each other in the on-base department, in the walks department. So uh, you might have you might be onto something there. Or either that or that time that Jones did miss. Maybe he's in Benz's ear in the, in the dugout. You know, hey, he did this. Why don't you why don't you make this adjustment? You know, that that whole behind the scenes stuff that happens in baseball that we see but we don't hear. We don't really know what players talk about in the dugout. We don't know exactly what they do on the field or in the locker room. Or I keep saying locker room. I'm too used to hockey and basketball coverage. Clubhouse. Or in the batting cage, we don't know exactly what goes on behind the scenes. Um, but you know, just that thought alone, that dynamic of you know Clint Frazier, Bradley Zimmer came up together. They were both top prospects. They're both outfielders. Something in common there. Benson and Jones, um, same draft class. They played in the Arizona League together. They played in Mahoning Valley together. Now they're in Lake County together. I wonder what kind of bond is there because if, if that's the case, you know, Will Benson. Um, can use some of that eye for Nolan Jones, who, if there was an MVP award in the New York Penn League, he probably would have won it last year. Um, so I, I think that's a good dynamic. And if it if it's the case, and I'm right in this sort of line of thinking, then you know there's nothing but positive to look forward to with Benson and Jones, I suppose we could say. Yeah, I love I love the fact that the two of them are coming up together, and I think that's a good comp- comparison you made there of, uh, of Frazier and Zimmer coming up together because I remember talking to them. Uh, I, I think we were both there. We did a live podcast uh, at mm-hmm. Media Day a couple years ago when both Zimmer and Frazier first came up to Akron, and we were talking about 
to them both about the dynamic they've shared coming up together and, you know, how they feed off each other. And they both kind of agreed that there was that dynamic in place and how they've, they've, they've pushed each other all the way up the minor league ladder and uh, helped each other out along the way and also had, you know, like you said, the, the friendly competition in place. And I, I think that same dynamic can exist for Benson and Jones, especially considering the fact that they're both young guys, both drafted high-round high draft picks out of high school. So, and, you know, they basically come up side by side uh, throughout the minor league system uh, so far in their first few seasons. So I, I'm, I, I wouldn't be surprised if these two just continue to feed off each other in the same way that, uh, that Zimmer and Frazier did. And hopefully it leads to both of them becoming uh, uh, established stars with the tribe someday. And it very well could. I think Jones in the way that he could become polished. I mean, his eye at the plate is already phenomenal. And the way that he draws walks and his patience and the at-bats that he puts together, um, that is already phenomenal. The defense might need a little bit of work on, and I've heard that's improving a little bit already. Um, you know, think about that. Nolan Jones as the third baseman of the Indians one day, I think that's a very strong po- – I mean, I know it's very early. But I, I think it's a very strong possibility. Will Benson, as an outfielder, should he continue to develop that plate discipline? Could be the very same with him in the outfield. And, you know, of course, how they, you know, one day perform as big leader, leaguers, should they get there, um, you know, that's going to be a, while, a, a ways away from now. But that's so exciting to think about that. These are two prospects that the Indians invested high draft picks in and, Already it looks like they're character guys, they're quality players, they're hard workers. And when you're 19 and you're, you know, just kind of getting the feel for how professional baseball works, it's kind of what you want to build off of, isn't it? I mean, you're not going to be, uh, you're not going to be Nolan Ryan on the mound or you're not going to be Mike Trout at the plate right away. You know, that time, that, that kind of stuff takes time to develop. But what you can develop are good habits, um, the skills that it takes to put together these, you know, little strings of whether it's a, a three, four, five game hitting streak or a couple good days in a row defensively, you know, those smaller things that just kind of compile up over time. And these are both teenagers that we're talking about still. So, you know, I know he wanted to zero in on Will Benson and the work that he's done with his plate discipline, but I think this kind of developed into a discussion of him and Nolan Jones coming up together throughout the system. And really, that's what the Indians had in mind with these two. I feel like they drafted Benson and they pair with Jones and they've groomed them all together so far. And it, it looks like if this continues, if this trend continues, then, you know, we could see these two in Cleveland one day together. Yeah, I agree. And I'm excited to see how these two continue to develop the rest of the season and in the seasons to come because I think they're both – Highly exciting talents who have both made great strides in their development so far. And I think that, you know, not to get too far, much farther into this, because I know we got some other stuff to get to, but I think that having that base of consistency with the coaching staff, with guys like Luke Carlin and Pete Lordson, I think that's really going to help them too. And uh, if things continue to pan out the way they are in the minor leagues, uh, I think that they will all be together for. Uh, at least the next couple of seasons to come in Lynchburg and then potentially in Akron because that's usually the way things work in the minors is how, uh, you know, they usually work your way up 
one level at a time, both as players and as coaches. So hopefully they get to stay together and uh, keep that consistency as well. So uh, I got to tell you what, though, uh, going on to the pitching side, though, there are a couple of relievers right now and who are not named Ben Krauth, by the way. We're going to actually <laughs> we're, we're actually going to uh, fall away from talking about Ben Krauth this week, although he still is pitching very well. Uh, but we got... James Karinchak and Mitch Brown. Uh, Karinchak, also in Lake County. Mitch Brown is up in Akron. Karinchak, I want to start with because he's a newer name to the system, and uh, he's a recent draft pick. And right now, he is probably, if if not Lake County's best reliever, then one of the top relievers uh, on the roster, and probably even in the Midwest League, if you think about it. Uh, but so far, he has pitched four games. He's gone 2-0. and He's got a 129 ERA, pitched seven innings. He's struck out uh, four, 15 batters in those seven innings, allowed only five hits and three walks, so he's got a 114 whip and only allowed the one, one earned run. And, uh, you know, a ninth-round pick last year for the Tribe, and I know that uh, – Corey, you got to see him a little bit in Mahoning Valley last year. He made some starts and also worked out of the bullpen. He didn't have the most impressive numbers, but it looks like he's uh, turned it around this year. Uh, but you know, even when he wasn't uh, pitching well in Mahoning Valley, he still had an impressive strikeout rate with 31 strikeouts in uh, 23 and a third innings. He was just allowing a lot of hits, but he seems mm-hmm. to have wrangled that in, at least in the early goings of the 2018 campaign. Yeah, that's the thing about him is that he gives up a lot of hits. He's a he's a pitch to contact guy. This season he's got the he's got the swing and miss stuff working for him. Fifteen Ks to three walks. Um, the thing about Karinchak is when he was drafted, he was kind of a, a steal where the Indians got him, if I remember correctly. Um, a ninth round pick, I, I believe our fellas had him um, ranked a little bit higher than that. So. I know that Karinchak was a very good value pick for the Indians um, when they got him. His curveball is his out pitch, and I, I believe that's what he's been turning to, and maybe he's refined that a little bit. You know, this whole Lake County staff in a nutshell has been very good so far. Um, we talked in length about, like you said, Ben Krauth. We talked quite a bit um, about Eli Morgan. John Carlos Mejia, by the way, gave up a run this season, as sad as it, as it is to say. It's very impressive what he's put together, actually, getting a little bit off topic, I know. But in the last uh, 31 and two-thirds innings, he's only given up one earned run. Um, so that's pretty good to see out of John Carlos Mejia. But for James Karinchak, like, like you led into here, um, I'm really intrigued to see what the Indians want to do with his development. Because I see him as that kind of sweeping arm in the bullpen that can go three, four innings if you need him to, but can also go short inning scenario if you need him to as well. Um, I think that the strikeout stuff is there, and it's always been there for him, even when he was at college at Bryant. So I'm not really surprised by him putting up these good numbers, but what's really really settling to see so far is that he's just not giving up as many hits. So whether that swing and miss stuff is starting to come around, whether he's starting to mix that curveball a little bit better or use it as his strikeout pitch or that is his out pitch, um, you know, he's not getting base hits off of, uh, you know, hitters aren't getting base hits off him anymore. And I really think that's the only thing he had to clean up from last year. 
um, giving up 15 earned runs in um, 23rd, 23 and a third innings, but that's off of 30 base hits. That's quite a bit. And he didn't, like you said, he didn't walk many people. He only walked nine batters as, as opposed to 31 strikeouts last year. But this year, the walks are still down. This time, the hits are down. And as a result, he a 129 ERA in four games. So I think that if he can limit those hits and he can limit the runners that actually get on, he's a very effective pitcher. So what that does in the long run, we talk about Crowthed Morgan, and what it does is it adds that depth to this bullpen that we've talked about. Um, you know, we talked about in the season preview show, and it seems to be a carrying theme throughout the weeks now. And he, I think he's just becoming a more important part of that bullpen. I think so, too. And just looking at the numbers right now, I mean, other than the impressive 129 ERA and, you know, the strikeout rates is really nice. But he's only uh, – hitters are only hitting uh, 192 off of him this year. I mean, only in four games. So, again, take it with a grain of salt. But – uh, as opposed to last year when they were batting 319 off of him. But the one thing that is really impressive to me and really kind of eye-opening is that compared to last year, he last year he had a ground-out-to-air-out ratio of .43. So far this year, it's an even two. So he's getting a ton more ground balls, at least in the early going here, in addition to the strikeouts. And I think that might be the main difference maker. He's not letting the ball get hit in the air nearly as much anymore and and getting that ball uh, pounded into the ground. And I think that uh, he's always going to be able to strike batters out, but if he can also get the ground ball going, I think that's going to be key to his success moving forward. Now, looking at an article from... Um, it's called Varsity 845. It looks like it's a high school sports blog um, based in the Hudson Valley. And there's an article here about James Karinchak. I, I didn't know this until I looked it up. I, I thought, you know, maybe there was something early on. Maybe there was a reason why he was taken so late. I mean, ninth round isn't late, but if that's considered a value pick, I didn't realize this. He had an elbow injury last March. It was, wasn't major or anything, but um, – you know, there were some elbow concerns with him coming out of um, out of Bryant. So, you know, if that was the case and, you know, I'd have to do a little more digging up on it, I just kind of a quick Google search, if you will. Um, you know, with that said, him coming along now and maybe it's the maybe it's the command, maybe it's just leaving stuff over the plate. That was the case last year and he's not really doing that anymore. Maybe he had a good offseason rehab. Now I'm kind of curious to look more up about him and see – exactly what the case was before he was drafted. Um, not that he was bad by any means of Mahoney Valley last year, but this season he's really putting up some eye-popping stuff. And, um, you know, if that if he's healthy now and maybe last year there were some lingering issues, then, you know, that's good. That's a very good thing. And like I said earlier, that just adds to, to more of that depth. Well, from what I recall, Karen Chak was one of the bigger ticket items as far as relief pitching goes in this in last year's draft class, at least for the Indians. And uh, to see him uh, come around like this just in his second season, his first full season of pro ball is uh, nice to see. And I th- wonder if uh, he's going to be moved up quickly if uh, if his success continues because, you know, you look at him, he's 22 years old, a college arm. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me to see him moved up to Lynchburg at some point later in the season, just because he's uh, one of those one of, one of those type of guys that uh, you know if they show that they can dominate the low A ball levels, then there's no real reason to keep him down there for that long, just because uh, they, they're kind of racing against the clock, uh, being a little bit older 
than some of the uh, you know younger high school level guys like Will Benson or Nolan Jones type. So yeah, it wouldn't surprise me to see Karen Jack moved up. But moving on to the other side of the spectrum, uh, I want to talk about Mitch Brown, who is a guy who was definitely a high upside draft pick when he was taken in the second round back in 2012 and had over half a million uh, committed to him and signing bonus. And when things didn't pan out for him as a starter over his first several seasons in the organization, they moved him to the bullpen full-time. And last season, his first full season in the bullpen, Brown went 1-2 and two with a 6.33 ERA in Akron. He saved four games in – Ten in or in nine opportunities rather, and you know he only struck out 40 batters in 48 in the third innings, and he walked 39 batters. So the command issues that have plagued him all throughout his career uh, just continued to haunt him in the bullpen. And you know I'll be honest, uh, heading into this season, I didn't have much high hopes at all for uh, Mitch Brown to ever be able to turn it around. But lo and behold, six outings into his Six outings into his season this year, he has pitched seven innings, only allowed one hit, no runs, only allowed three walks in those seven innings, which still, yeah, a little bit above what you would want, but way better than where he was before. And he's also struck out ten batters in those seven innings. So I got to tell you, uh, to see Mitch Brown come around like this early on, even if it is only six games, this has got to be very encouraging, not only for us, as uh, you know, minor league uh, fans and analysts and writers, but also for the Indians organization, they got to be thrilled to see what Mitch Brown is doing so far, and hopefully it can continue. So I wonder if Brown's success this season is not just based on the fact that he had a little bit of time to warm up, pun intended, I suppose, to becoming a reliever last year, but I don't know if this renaissance – Mitch Brown that we've seen in the first couple weeks of the season here. It's a product of the fact that he's been a short order reliever. He's thrown a maximum of two innings this season in a single game. And he did that just once. Um, he's thrown seven innings. Um, he's appeared in, um, excuse me, he's appeared in six games. So he's had one game of two innings and everything else. He's thrown one inning flat. So, my mind starts to think about whether Mitch Brown, when he faces that order one time, you know, a la Zach McAllister a little bit, you know, McAllister, the stats showed when he was a starter, when he faced the order the first time, very good, very effective first, second, third innings, fourth, fifth, sixth innings started to tail off a bit, seventh, eighth, nine or third time through the lineup, whatever the case was, little bit dicey, a little bit dicier. So with Mitch Brown, I wonder if it's a similar thing in this change to the bullpen and being a seventh inning guy or a setup man or, um, you know, the supplemental arm, whatever it may be, that bridge inning guy. I wonder if that is his role because I don't think it's, I don't think he could go back to being a starter after what we've seen over him the past few years. And, if, if this is the case, and this is the way that Mitch Brown makes it work, and obviously it's a small sample size, you know, that we're going off of, of, of six games and seven innings so far this season. But he's given up only one hit, and that was in his first game of the season on April 6th. He hasn't given up a hit in his last five appearances. Um, there hasn't really been much um, 
air out or he hasn't given up many fly balls. He's inducing ground balls. He's not walking guys. He's not allowing base hits. He's really dialed in. So I wonder if this is more of a change and now he can prepare as a reliever and he's got the experience from last year to learn off of and the, he does well facing the lineup once and, you know, kind of like the Zach McAllister. Like I, it's fascinating because the Indians put a second-round pick into this guy several years ago. And when I say several, I mean six. You know, second-round pick six years ago, I'm curious to see what the other second-rounders are doing right now. But I think this could be his new role, and if he continues it, that adds that level of intrigue towards – Okay, does he go to Columbus? Does he get put on the 40, man? It's, it's, it's a small, very, very small thing that we're going off of, but I think this is a very positive thing for Mitt Brown to put him back on that prospect radar. I think so, too, and you mentioned how this is his uh, sixth season, so this is definitely a big make-or-break year for him. I think with uh, both him for his career and obviously with him in the organization, you know, the Indians have tried to give him every chance they could uh, with him, him having uh, so much financial uh, resources committed to him. So they want to see if, see this ship through as much as they can. But, you know, he can only go for so long, and I think that 2018 is going to be that definitive make-or-break year. And so far he's off to a good start, and – you know, he obviously has good stuff. He's got a four-pitch mix. He's got a good fastball. It can touch the mid-90s, and I think it can play up in the bullpen. It's got good movement. And the big thing for him is, is it always has been command. And I think that if he has command, he's pretty good. But when he doesn't, it's it just gets ugly. And he's had it. Unfortunately, he hasn't had it uh, more often than he has. So it, that's pretty much what you have to keep an eye on and yeah again six games is nice to see he hasn't given up a run only given up one hit and three walks that's the thing too he's you know he's had some high era marks throughout his career but his career batting average against numbers have been pretty low i mean a career 247 batting average against even last year when he had a 633 era hitters were only batting 238 against him and so he's they're not able to square up the ball on him, so it's pretty clear that he has stuff that is hard to square up on. It's just a matter of him throwing it for strikes consistently, and hopefully he's doing that this year, and that's what's leading to his success, and he's able to continue doing that, and whatever adjustments he's made, he's able to continue to uh, keep those on track. So, uh, yeah, I want to see what becomes of Mitch Brown heading into the rest of the season, and if his command lapses ever come back, I mean, knock on wood, hopefully they don't, but, uh, yeah, I want to see if this can trend for weeks and months and eventually, hopefully, the full season, so, uh, I'm definitely, I'm definitely, uh, intrigued by his, uh, early success so far, and I want to see how it, uh, how it continues to, uh, translate over the next several weeks and months. And that adds to this pitching depth that's in Akron right now, with, Shane Bieber pitching the lights out, and Aaron Savali, and Xiao Ching Chang, and Michael Peoples has looked good so far. And you're going to add Tristan McKenzie into that mix to the starting rotation. Um, you got Ben Kraut there, David Spear is a reliever, Matt Whitehouse, Damas. I mean, there's there's a laundry list of names that, that are on this acrid pitching staff that uh, Tony Mancellino has to play with. 
So him being the closer, I mean, designated as a closer, two saves and two opportunities, excuse me, two opportunities, I really like to see him getting these chances to go out and pitch. I mean, he's thrown in six games, and that's time for the most on a team. Um, he, our Janice Angulo, Luke Eubank, and Dominic Damasi have each thrown six games this season. So if he's going to be kind of a workhorse in a short-inning scenario, and he shows that command, and he shows that ability to turn it on really quickly, then that that's going to put him back in. And like we mentioned, a second-round pick six years ago, make-or-break type, type stuff, I'm sure he knows that too. So if he continues it, then that adds that level of intrigue. This will be a good thing to revisit later on down the road. All right, Corey, we're getting toward the end of our show here, and that means it's time to get to our Player of the Week for this week. Before we get to our uh, actual Player of the Week, let's go ahead and review our picks from last week. We both went with pitchers. I had the aforementioned Eli Morgan from Lake County. He had two games started, uh, went 1-0, and had an eight and two-thirds innings, eight hits, three runs earned, five walks, ten strikeouts, good for a 312 ERA and 150 whip. And, you know, man, look at our picks. We're about as close as we can get with our picks. Uh, you had Sam Hentges out of Lynchburg. Two games started, 1-0, and 9 and two-thirds innings, 12 hits, four runs earned, four walks, 13 strikeouts, 372 ERA, and a 166 whip. So, man, I, both of them were pretty solid. They had solid weeks, but they also gave up a lot of base runners. Um, so unfortunately neither one was able to capture the player of the week pick this week, but, uh, looking at the, comparing the stats, man, it's so close, but I think I gotta get Morgan the edge there just because he had a lower ERA, lower amount of base runners, uh, Henkis did have one more inning, but, uh, it's still fairly even across the board, so we both made some solid picks and, uh, they each turned out, uh, solid performances and, and kept it, and kept it close, but I think... Morgan has the has a slight edge there. There's no shame in that at all. Um, for Lynchburg, having Sam Henkes pitch like the, the guy they drafted, essentially, um, you know, getting him back into form. I know he had some injury concerns last year and I believe the year before. Um, but man, seeing him back is really really brightening. So I'm not upset if I if this is a battle that I lose in some way, shape, or form. I'm not upset over it. I'm glad that Hank has put together a solid week. Um, and this week is, you know, for my player of the week pick. I'm not going to get to it yet, but I'm debating picking another pitcher. I don't know if I if I want to exhaust that well yet. I'm trying to think about it, but uh, yeah, I mean, Eli Morgan's been outstanding. Yep, and uh, our player of the week. For this week on the Farm Report podcast is actually a hitter and well-deserving because he is just putting together a really good season so far. And, I mean, he has been locked in just over the last week or two. And that is, of course, outfielder Connor Capel, the guy who we've dubbed as probably the most underrated prospect in the entire Indians farm system. And he is just so deserving of it, too, because he is currently riding a... See one an eight game hit streak right now. He's got uh, a batting average over 400 over the last week. He's got 13 hits and 31 at bats, four doubles, six RBIs, a walk, two strikeouts. He also has a, a couple of stolen bases. So he's batting. So he's batting over 
400, 419. He's got an OPS of 986 in this mm. week. And so far, looking at his career, his uh, season numbers, he's batting 323 with a homer, eight RBIs, seven walks versus 10 strikeouts. The strikeout to walk rate looks pretty good. He's got seven stolen bases, only been caught twice. I'm telling you what, I, I made the comparison in saying that uh, Connor Capel is a poor man's Bradley Zimmer, and I think that that uh, comparison holds true because of how he's able to not really excel at, at any one place in the game. And he's, he's got like 20 home run power. He can steal 15 to 20 bases in a season. He's got a good he's got a good throwing arm, good defense, and he can obviously hit for average as well. But he's the thing is, he does everything so well, just not to the same kind of high level that Zimmer does when he reaches his full potential. But I think that uh, Capel is definitely somebody that more people are going to get to know as his career moves forward. And just the way he's played this week and so far this season has exemplified what kind of uh, player he can be. And I have a feeling this isn't going to be his first player, of the week, or his last, rather. I have a feeling this isn't going to be his last player of the week nod this season either um, because I, I feel like he is on the rise. I feel like he is very underrated. I feel like he has kind of like you said, the Bradley Zimmer like mannerisms, capabilities. Um, he's a, he's a fast paced player. He gets it. He understands the game. He's very cognizant of what he does out there. He can hit for average. He can hit for power. He can run. I mean, he's done it all for Lynchburg so far. Well deserving a play of the week. I mean, hitting 400 in a week. How could you not get it? Um, but yeah, we've talked about him before about him and Mitch Longo in that outfield in Lynchburg. And those two guys are very underrated outfield prospects in this system. And who knows how long it'll take Capel to get to Akron and back into Northeast Ohio. Um, he's only 20 years old. So there's, there could be a school of thought that the Indians will keep Capel in Lynchburg this season. They'll let him play that full season get used to playing in, in one setting. But, man, he has looked so great this year to start out. Um, 390 his last 10 even. He hasn't uh, exactly done, you know, he had he, went, he had an 0 for 3. This was nine games ago. He had an 0 for 3, and then all he's done is gone two hits, one hit, two hits, three hits, two hits, one hit, two hits, two hits. So, I mean, he's put together a hitting clinic in the last week. So, good for him. And there's, like I said, this won't be the last Player of the Week award that he wins. I have a good feeling on that one for the season. Yeah, and we could, I feel like we could just talk at length about Connor Capel alone and how, what kind of player profile he does. And I've, we've talked with people, you know, not only, you know, within you and me talking here on the podcast or those of us here at the site, but I've talked to, you know, other writers in the Indians blogosphere and talked to some other people within the organization, and they all agree that Connor Capel is is very underrated and somebody who should be uh, ha- have an eye kept on as his uh, career moves forward over the next couple of seasons. And, yeah, him be- only being 20 already in Lynchburg and showing – the kind of uh, success that putting together the kind of success that he has so far, I think that's very impressive. I also like that you know kind of a la Will Benson kind of bring it full circle. He's showing a decent uh, 
strikeout to walk ratio improvement this year as well. I mean, last year he only batted 246 and only had a 316 on base. This year he's batting 323 and has a 386 on base. So the seven walks versus 10 strikeouts is definitely an improvement. And I think that if he's able to improve that strikeout to walk ratio over the long term and get on base more consistently, he could potentially be even better than Bradley Zimmer in that department just because he's able to get on base and be more consistent at the plate, even though he might not possess the same level of raw talent that Zimmer does. So that's something to keep in mind as well. Uh, I know we've done this the reverse way in the past, but since you have – made the successful picks the last couple weeks. I believe you should get the honor of picking your player of the week pick first. Jake, who do you have this week for the IBI Farm Report player of the week? Well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to go with a guy who we just just, uh, touched on. Uh, Actually, you just touched on as far as you were talking about players who are underrated in the system right now. And that is our guy, Mitch Longo, who treated me well last year with our player of the week picks. And I think I'm going to go with him now. He's only batting 228 so far this season, but he is currently riding a nine-game hit streak. Now, most of those games are like one for five, one for four performances. So that's why his average isn't very high. But I think that once he gets going, he has proven in the past that uh, once he gets going, it's just a matter of time before he just starts hitting the crap out of the ball and uh, being consistent at the plate uh, game after game. And I think that, you know, he is just – the way he's had this nine-game history going, he's slowly morphing into that that mode that we know he – and we have seen from him in the past. So I'm going to go with Mitch Longo this week because I think that he's on the verge of a, of a major hot streak based on his current uh, kind of modest hit streak. And not only that, but he's putting a, a little more uh, – He's or rather he's continuing that successful selectiveness at the plate. Last season he had 37 strikeouts compared to 27 walks. Right now he's at 13-7. to 7. So he's put together that same level of patience at the plate. He's hitting – you know, for that gap power, four doubles um, out of his 13 hits there. I like that. It's a turnaround week. Um, like, he's got that hit streak going that could keep that confidence rolling. Um, maybe he can keep the hit streak going. Who knows? I really want to pick Shane Bieber for my player of the week, but I don't want to jinx what he's doing. So that being said, I'm going to go with his draft mate this week. I'm going to go Aaron Savali with Akron. Um, he had a hiccup against, or rather, he had a couple hiccups this season against Altoona. Um, in the first start of the season at Altoona, he went three and two-thirds innings. Um, he gave up six hits, and he only struck out four. In his next start at Binghamton, which I wasn't there for that one, but I was there for Beavers. At Binghamton, he went six innings, struck out seven, and only gave up three hits. Um, and walk nobody. So very good start there. Against the curve again back in Akron, um, I believe it was that was that first series um, at Canal Park. He went six and two-thirds innings, but he gave up ten hits. Um, only two earned runs, thankfully, off of that. But um, So if they're not playing the – basically, if Akron's not playing the Altoona curve, then they're pretty good. And they're not playing Altoona this week, and they're not playing them next week. So – I don't know if it's a curve curse, if you will, but Savali put a really good outing against Binghamton. He's going to see them. Um, he's going to see them again pretty soon here. He's got a couple good opponents coming up against them, Redding and Bowie. So 
I think Aaron Savali, and he's one of those guys in that Akron rotation that we've talked about that, it, you know, it's just a really tough rotation. He's 1-0 with a 165 ERA this season. He's given up 19 hits, but 10 of those were in one game. So, you know, I, I like to see that he could put us all together, week together. And, you know, this, this Akron rotation, man, it's something about it. Just on paper, I really like looking at it with Bieber and then Tristan McKenzie coming back and Savali and Chang, and it just looks really good right there. I feel like Savali is a guy who's always had to live in, like, Shane Bieber's shadow. And not, I'm not saying that he's uh, he doesn't like that or doesn't, or feels any kind of regret over that, but I feel like that in the eyes of the fans, that he's somebody who should be in as in the forefront of their minds as much as Shane Bieber. As, as impressive as Bieber has been, I think Savali has been just as impressive. The only, pretty much the only difference between Savali and Bieber last year is that Bieber made it all the way up to Akron. Uh, last year, where Savali finished out the year in Lynchburg, but you look at his numbers overall: he's 13 and 6, 328 ERA. He only walked 14 batters and struck out 141 and 164 and two-thirds innings. So he's been right there in terms of numbers, right there with Bieber. And I think that you know a lot of people are saying that Savali might be destined for the bullpen long term, but don't write him off as a starter. And I I think that. Uh, He's shown us so far this year and will continue to show that in Akron. And whether he does end up in the bullpen long term, I think that uh, I think that right now he's going to be focused on starting, and that's what the Indians are focusing on as well. And right now he seems like he's going to be uh, a pretty good prospect for the Indians, at least for the time being as a, as a starter. So uh, hopefully they stay the course with him in that department. And I think that's very possible as well. Um, already seeing him stretch out to six innings in a couple starts this season. Um, I remember when he came in to Mahoney Valley back in 16. I believe he was a college arm, so he came in a little bit late. You know, kind of a piggyback scenario. Then last year he really got on a regiment and got the and had the ability to prep for starts. And um, he, he actually put together 27 starts last season between Lake County and, and Lynchburg. So his first full season last year and putting up the numbers that he did at 328 ERA and you mentioned the strikeouts I think that's you know a guy that the Indians can rely on throughout their system throughout within the next couple years you know I I don't know if he's necessarily going to fall into that category of um a Ryan Merritt who um you know had had some good you know promises with the organization and then he really flat out necessarily near the end, but he just really didn't get a chance, honestly, uh, up in Cleveland. I don't think he's going to get that. I think Stavali will have chances, which is, um, you know, for a guy that that pitches the way he does, I think he could be really solid one day, and it's just a matter of, you know, him developing and working a little bit more on. um, He pitches to contact, so that might stay there, but if he can work on getting some more swing and misses, then, you know, that could add just – that much more to his value as a prospect. All right, so I have Mitch Longo, you have Aaron Savale. We'll see. We'll see if you can finally get on the board this week. Because right now I'm up uh, in our tally eight to nothing by our new points, uh, our new point system. So uh, hopefully you're able to get on the board next week, and we can make this uh, make this competition exciting. So uh, again, congrats to Connor Capel, and keep up the good work, man. That's just uh, impressive what he's doing down in Lynchburg right now. But uh, Corey, can you believe we've 
It seems like we say this every week, but we've been talking for over an hour about uh, prospects. So to wind it down, uh, what are your final thoughts for this week? I just looked at the clock now that you mentioned it. I didn't realize how late it was. Um, final thoughts. Enjoy what's going on in Akron right now. I've, we talked a couple times already about this rotation. But when you get guys that go from Lynchburg and they're in the A ball to Akron and double A, and even if, if there's visiting teams that you might be interested in, you know, go see them play at the double A level. I, I Went down to Binghamton a couple weeks ago and saw the Rubber Ducks and the Rubble Ponies play. And, you know, the Mets had some good prospects over there. And the Indians, with with the pitching staff that we mentioned, there's just good talent there. And the guy that I wanted to point out there was Michael Peoples. Because not necessarily does he get lost in the shuffle. Excuse me. He doesn't necessarily get lost in the shuffle over there in Akron. Because he's put together a really solid start to the season. But... When you have a guy that's, you know, on the other side of, you know, kind of on the wrong side of 25, getting towards that age, uh, 28, 29, 30, and he's been in the system for several years, you know, that could be a little downplaying on, on your morale and, you know, just how you go about things. But Peoples has been very solid so far. So as we talk about these players in Akron that are on that cusp of either – becoming a top five or top ten prospect or are on the cusp of a 40-man status. You know, there's still guys down there that are looking to work. And you have to admire what Peoples is doing right now, especially being a veteran on that Rubber Ducks team um, and pitching with these talented guys like Bieber, Savali, etc. You know, I think that's a, a very admirable. And we talked about it earlier with Mitch Brown as well. Um, I like that. So Michael Peoples... You know, is he going to continue that as well along the lines of Mitch Brown? Two guys that really haven't been able to put together in the past are sort of starting to figure it out this year. I like that because uh, I have actually had some conversations with Michael Peoples already this season about the dynamic of the Akron pitching staff. And, you know, it's going to get even more uh, younger and more have more – dynamic uh, on the staff when Tristan McKenzie gets added, which as of right now should be in uh, early May or early to mid-May as far as uh, the latest reports go. And people's being kind of the elder statesman of the group, I mean, he's still young enough to qualify per, for prospect status, and he's still trying to make something out of his own career, but he's also said that he's more than willing to impart what he what he's learned and what he knows onto these younger pitchers like Savale, like Bieber, uh, like Shaoxing, Chang, those guys, and, and Sean Brady to get them acclimated to the double-A level. Because as we've mentioned numerous times, it's a big adjustment level for a lot of reasons. And for uh, people to be able to have that dual role on the team and be able to accept it and uh, and run, take it and run with it is definitely uh, a sign of uh, his maturity and how he's able to uh, accept the responsibility that he now has on this team. And I think that the younger guys are going to respect him for that, too. He's a really good dude, too. He's really fun to talk to. And uh, my final thought, I'm also going to stay in the uh, Rubber Ducks rotation because I'm going to talk about Shane Bieber, who finally gave up some earned runs. What? Oh. I know, that's so surprising. He gave up, but he only gave up three of them, and they were in six innings. 
against Bowie, and he still qualified for the win. And because he struck out five batters, and his walks, his, his walkless streak, streak if that's a word, is still intact. He has not given up a walk yet in 26 innings. And even with those three earned runs, his ERA is still a minuscule 1.04. So he's three and 0 in four starts. 1.04 ERA, no walks, 28 strikeouts in 26 innings. He's he's still pitching like uh, the ace of that rubber duck staff and really showing what he's made of as far as uh, pitching prospects go in the Indian system. And, uh, again, behind Tristan McKenzie, the number two guy on the Indians' depth chart as far as uh, high upside starting pitchers go has got to be Shane Bieber. Is it too early to say that Bieber could be a two or a three in the future? Because I know the original thought was him as a, as a potential three or four, but are we looking at that number two as a ceiling now? Maybe low end two. He just—I don't think he's going to strike out enough guys to qualify for a number two. But he's—I think he's definitely moving towards like that number three uh, status. And if, if his strikeout rate continues to be, you know, close to like one per inning. I think he's in in that uh, category, and you know just all the uh, ratios and splits that we mentioned and uh, previous shows. You know the low home run rate, the low uh, walk rate, of course, the high strikeout to walk ratio, and you know how even though he's a pitch to contact guy, he's still able to limit hits uh, to uh, for the most part. The uh, I, I see him as more of a three guy, high upside, maybe highest upside, maybe a low number two guy. But I, I think number three guy might be the more uh, modest projection at this point. Three four, I think, is where he where he sits right now. But I want to see how he does over the rest of the season, where he has to make those adjustments at the double A level. But then again, you know, he already has pitched nine starts in Akron last year and had a two thirty two ERA. So uh, he's now. 13 starts into his double-A career and really pitching well, so that's something uh, to consider as well and see if that plays into the decision-making of maybe moving him up to Columbus, moving him up to the next level, maybe when some of the guys in Columbus who are in that starting rotation now, the veteran guys who are likely to hit opt out at the start of June, maybe that opens up a spot for Bieber and Peoples and guys like that. Who knows? But uh, – yeah, Beaver finally gave up some earned runs, but he don't worry, he's still in very good shape as far as his season is concerned. I like that thought process of a floor, rather, um, a floor of being a four-starter and then a, a ceiling of being a two, you know, having that comfort of, of, have, uh, of him developing into a solid three one day. I mean, if one day in this system it's, you know, Kluber Carrasco or – and McKenzie and Bieber in there, and then one day it develops into Carrasco, McKenzie, Bieber, however it, however it pans out. I, I, there's definitely a future for him throughout this organization or whatever, you know, whatever happens. There's a future for him in the major leagues. And I don't see any signs of this slowing down, what he's done before. In fact, his contact rate is even better. Uh, hitters only hitting 202 against him. Um, as compared to last season, which is 274, and then in 2016 when he, you know, had that short stay in Mahoney Valley, you know, he was down at 122, so he's brought that average against back down. Um, you know, he's just – there's not much more to say other than the fact that he's just been spectacular for the Rubber Ducks. And, I mean, this is a guy 
and it's a higher number now, obviously. Um, it looks like it's 190 to, so that's 19 strikeouts per walk over the last two seasons. That's phenomenal. That's unbelievable. I know it was at least 185 the last time I looked at it, but right now it's 19 strikeouts per walk um, since the start of 2017. That's just mind-blowing. I know. And, again, we could talk about that all day, but if you want to hear more of our Shane Bieber thoughts, you can listen to our to our first uh, – I think it was our first podcast of the regular season. You can check that out. We go – Take a deep dive into Shane Bieber's numbers and how impressive they are, so you can go back and listen to that. But tell you what, Corey, we, I feel like we've talked long enough here, so uh, we gotta we gotta save some for the rest of the year. So uh, before we go, though, do you have anything you want you want to plug? Um, it, not necessarily Indians. It's kind of weird because I haven't had much time to write for our site, you know, the site that I'm speaking on this podcast for lately. But the opportunities I have had to write are coming kind of outsourced with um, the Syracuse Crunch hockey team. They're in the American Hockey League with the Cleveland Monsters, the same exact league, going in the Calder Cup playoffs, so I'm, I'm going to be covering them and their chase for the cup there. Um, right now what is live is a feature on Austin Meadows, who's the number two, pros- uh, number two prospect in the Pirates system. Um, the Indianapolis Indians were in town up here in Syracuse, last week and um i talked to meadows before the one game i talked to jordan luplo as well but i wrote this feature on meadows and um you know basically it was thought that once andrew mccutcheon was traded away or whatever happened in in the mccutcheon story whether he was gone as a free agent or traded away whatever it was um that meadows would be the heir apparent to take over in center field well He's been injured the past, I think, three or four seasons or two or three seasons. I can't exactly remember the context, but point is he's dealt with some pretty pretty big injuries that have um, hampered his ability to get to the majors. And, you know, this is a really high-profile prospect we're talking about. So if you're interested in that and want to hear about Austin Meadows, I wrote a feature on him. I'll, I'll be able um, to share the link if you hit me on Twitter. It's on Rumbunter which is the Pittsburgh Pirates section of fan sided that I contribute for a little bit. Um, so it's up on there. It's on my Twitter feed. And, um, you know, Austin, is a he's a really cool guy. He was really open with his rehab and what he went through. And he even shared – I'm going to leave this as a cliffhanger. He even shared who his mentor was throughout spring training this year in the Pirates organization. So if you want to get that little factoid and get all that information, it's up on my Twitter feed. Um, it's on Rum Bunter on Fansided. All right, sounds good. We'll be sure to check that out. And uh, as for me, you know, you got the Four Thoughts column. Uh, I'll be doing another uh, IBI inbox this week. Be sure to get those questions in. Tweet them into official underscore IBI or to me directly at Jake D Baseball. And uh, we'll be sure to uh, answer all those questions for you that we can. And uh, you know, I also have bunch of rubber duck stuff coming down the pike at some point and uh, i can't wait to get around to some of the other affiliates as well and see some of these see some of these players as the weather warms up so it's gonna be a lot of fun so uh, uh be, like i just said be sure to follow us on twitter i'm at jake d baseball Corey's at cd Kristen. you can follow the show on twitter uh the podcast network on twitter at smoke signals ibi 
and also the official uh, IBI account, at official underscore IBI. And lastly, of course, be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, leave a nice rating, and spread the word. That is all we ask. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed this extended uh, Farm Report podcast. Uh, again, we like we said before, once Corey and I start talking prospects, it's hard to shut us up, but uh, go ahead and cut it off here before we get too deep into uh, even more discussion. But until next time, though, for Corey Christen and the Farm Report podcast, I'm Jake Dungan, and we say to you, have a good one. For questions and comments, you can email us at smokesignals at indiansbaseballinsider.com. Also be sure to follow us on Twitter at SmokesignalsIBI, where you can find links to all our shows, as well as poll questions and other cool podcast stuff. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>